to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Shay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Milwaukee Ndonga, Senior Health and Safety Hygienist at Ball Corporation, about how EHS can take advantage of AI. This episode is presented as part of EHS Tech Week by KPA. Introducing an EHS software platform tailored to the needs of your business. KPA provides environment, health, and safety software and award-winning online training to help organizations stay compliant with state and federal regulations and maintain a safe and productive workplace. The KPA EHS software platform is easy to use, highly configurable, and designed for a mobile workforce, which encourages broad adoption and an improved culture of safety across the organization. Manage equipment inspections and incidents, forms, safety data sheets, audits and inspections, training, resources, and gain actionable in- analytics and insights with the all-in-one platform. Plus, with KPA's mobile app with online and offline capabilities, you can access it all whether you're at your desk or out in the field. To learn more about KPA's EHS software and award-winning training, visit them online at www.kpa.io. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Mwangi Ndonga, Senior Health and Safety Hygienist at Ball Corporation. Welcome to the program. Hey, Jay. How you doing? I'm good. Um, before we talk a little bit about uh, EHS and AI, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at uh, Ball Corporation. Uh, I'm an industrial hygienist um, at Ball. We're a manufacturing company, but uh, I do a lot of volunteering uh, with the American Industrial Hygiene Association. Um, specifically, um, I chair the Technology Initiative Strategic Advisory Group, where we uh, we advise the board of directors for AIHA on uh, hey, emerging technologies. What does that mean for the profession? You know, how would it affect, or how should uh, volunteer groups, let's say ergonomics group or noise group, uh, uh, approach these technologies and definitely assist our you know our membership and really the environmental health and safety professional as a whole to just kind of uh, uh, navigate uh, these waters that is technology, which is uh, you know not necessarily an, uh, an area that uh, many of us are trained in, uh, but we definitely have no choice to, but to, to embrace, you know, things like, uh, you know, new tech or, or new tools, right. To, to achieve our missions. Definitely. And that, I guess, leads into my first question is um, what are the biggest challenges for EHS professionals when it comes to incorporating new technology? I think it's where to start. Um, it can be daunting. There's there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, first is okay. There there are many things. Which one do I pick? Number two, what competencies do I need to have to use some of these things? In other words, is this a plug, plug and play device? Do I need to learn a programming language? Do I need to uh, engage a data scientist when applying this technology? Um, so for me, the first is is yeah, there's just there's a lot of stuff. Where do I start? Uh, the the second part is ensuring that the the problem statement uh, is is well understood. Not necessarily the solution, but the problem statement. Uh, because with a good problem statement, then it can direct you to the type of tools that are best, or at least like if you have a problem statement, you can share with. Uh, some folks who can direct you in that manner, mm-hmm. uh, because what you don't want is, you know, a, a nail-defined problem statement, and then picking, let's say, technology that gives you a whole lot of data that really doesn't actually uh, take you where you need to go. Yeah, it's really like figuring out exactly what you need, because there's just so much out there, like you said. Yes. Um, 
and let's talk about uh, AI. How can EHS professionals take advantage of AI tools? I mean, uh, you can't you can't open your browser or your phone without hearing about AI, ChatGPT, et cetera, Dali, you know? Um, so how do we take advantage of those tools? I think the first thing is to educate ourselves, Jay, right? Um, what are they? What exactly is ChatGPT? What is generative AI? What, what does that mean, right? Uh, just an understanding of the technology and what it, what that technology does and doesn't do. Um, then, you know, I'll, I'll come back to the problem statement. and we'll say, okay, now, now what can we, how can we use this technology to achieve our objectives in the workplace? We may not be able to use it, right? So if I'm using DALI and, and it's generating art, okay, what, what I'm going to use that uh, in the workplace at the moment, the way that, and, and I'm speaking to those technologies as they are today, those will advance. But I've experimented with some of them. You know, I think I went into Dali and I typed in, I forget what I typed in. I think show me AI robot or something like that interacting in the workplace. And it was a horrible image. It, it didn't <laughs> convey what I wanted. That's okay. I am not dissing it. It'll get there. So today, if I'm trying to use that application to, I don't know, create training material or pictures, not the best. But there's two ways of looking at it. Okay not the best right now, but then we may also say, how can we as a community engage with the people that are producing these tools so that that tool also sees us, right? So that when we're using it, we feel confident in, um, in where it's going. So like I said, number one is understanding those tools. Number two, I think to be honest, is also pivoting with our uh, education as uh, EHS pros. Um, so if you're already an established EHS pro, you know, I recommend start looking as part of your continuing education yes you'll do safety kind of stuff but i would, I would start looking at other things like uh, maybe overview of data science or or you know business intelligent tools or something like that and then likewise i believe that if we look at curriculum of uh, safety professionals today uh, we should start looking into how we can have students um, use programming languages to complete some of their projects in school so that way when they graduate they, they walk away with some you know addition not some more or better or more adaptable uh, technology competencies so what would you tell like uh, somebody in you know working in ehs who maybe just has no clue about ai um what would you sort of tell them to kind of i guess uh give them a, a basic understanding of it if you don't mind, I'll, I'll plug something on your podcast, yeah, Jay. Sure. You know, I used to I host a uh, host a podcast called Probability Matters, where we talked about exactly that, Jay. Mm -hmm. Where uh, we 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 invited guests to say where is the intersection between safety and technology? You know, is it a gray area? Is it black and white? Um, so I, I you know I'm not plugging myself, but I'm plugging the guests that were on that <laughs> podcast. We had data scientists, professors, safety professionals, workers, um, HR folks. Um, just because it, because, because we could talk right now, you and I about tech and safety, but it involves everybody. If you put a sense on a person, what kind of data privacy issues are you having? Okay. HR is involved. Where are you going to store that data? Your IT people are involved, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, procurement of those devices, where they go. So you may be talking to a whole bunch of people in your organization. Uh, but anyway, coming back to your question. Um, so there probability matters is a great, uh, place. All of the uh, safe, many of the safety organizations, National Safety Council has a great website called Work to Zero, where they show you and give you a framework. Where if you're asking about where do I start, they give you that journey, and then they also give you examples of drones, you know, gas monitors, you know, where to start with those things, and 
what's good is they're going to start publishing case studies using companies because many times you go to a website and it'll say hey you can use this technology but your question is always well how are people actually using it so i think nsc is gonna come out mm -hmm. with that aiha has some resources um i'm a resource so if you are you can always im me and i can always direct you to places i know or people i know so say you know you're an ehs professional and you know you do your research and you you know you identify a tool that you feel will be helpful, you know, say for training or whatever, what's the best way to demonstrate to the leadership of your organization that, you know, the AI tools and, you know, technologies that are similar are worth investing in because they're not cheap. Oh, and that's, that's the question, right? So NSC also has a return on investment tool, but yeah, cause it's, it's not cheap. You're going to be asking for money. And let's be honest too, you're not even sure sometimes it may work, right? So in other <laughs> words, you may have, you may buy this thing saying, I'm going to be able to predict X, Y, Z, but then you're only able to predict X. And then maybe your stakeholders come back to you and say, well, you spent all this money, only, you only achieved a third of your objectives. What's up right. with that? Right. Um, I don't think, I don't know if it's a uh, perfect way, but I think first being honest, maybe upfront around the fact that you're getting into spaces that traditional safety and health didn't live in. Like even us industrial hygienists, we go, we sample. So I may come to your workplace Jay, and sample, you know, with 10 samples. And then I'll use those samples to try to understand how your workplace is for the next thousand days or something like that, or next mm -hmm. 300 days. Well, that's a really small sample. And then I'd have to do, a, you know, some professional judgment to kind of take that and extrapolate it that far out. So my point there is, even if we have a high-tech sensor that's ill-placed, you get bad data. And so I think upfront if, with the stakeholders, if you're just like, yes, I will ask for this money such that I can explore this problem, but you're not necessarily um, guaranteeing or maybe over-promising that you mm -hmm. will find this uh, golden pie in the sky. But what you may be saying is like, I would like to understand how not only because remember, us safety folks, we have to we have to figure out that we're there in the good and the bad. So we're not only coming to say you have a problem, we should also come and say you don't have a problem. So how can we leverage this technology to also give positive news? So that when the people give you that money, they also they may say, oh, you're coming to affirm affirm what we've been doing. That's also <laughs> a great objective to me. Because otherwise, most of the time, it's always like you're coming here because we have a problem. Okay, right. fix the problem and and leave. And then why isn't the problem fixed? I think we could definitely leverage the positive and the negative when we look at tech because it does it does that. If I put a sensor and it shows zero detection for a long time because you all are doing the right thing, I think that's a good thing. We don't have to only come when problems arise. Right. And I guess, you know, in terms of, you know, talking to someone about investing in this technology you're also kind of investing in the future like it's not you know you can kind of pitch it like you know we don't fully understand what we can do with this but here you know here are some possibilities and here's what we're hoping to do over the next 20 years it's an experimentation absolutely right and i know it's a little bit scary right because it's, yeah. it's easier to say hey i'm going to erect this fall protection yeah and it's going to be fixed and so therefore nobody would ever fall that we're going to get a 95 percent improvement it's in tangible the right exactly yeah. it's very tangible but like the way you describe it is hey we, we we think if we do this right we may be able to predict and the other part is like sometimes when you if you if you say that statement today and you say 
we're going to start today. Really, you're starting with potentially no data because yeah. one of the really key things about AI and big data is that you have to collect data in a structural standardized way so that AI model can learn from it. If that, if it, you know, if you're missing a lot of data points or like one instrument is collecting five columns of data and the other one's collecting 50, you might have a problem. And so it's a journey to be honest. So even if when you declare you're ready for AI, that's what you started, you know? Yeah. And then maybe the next five years, you're just collecting the data the right way. Right. Such that then you may say now in five years, we'll be ready. Now we'll be ready to feed an AI to help now look us further in the future. But it's, it's seldom, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's harder to just take a bunch of historical data and mesh it together because it usually is not um, collected in a standardized manner, to be honest. Maybe unless you have a particular brand of sensor that you've been using for a long time that has that. But generally, Jay, it's usually like, okay, now let's start. It's almost starting a, a building a house with the floor plans. But we have, that's those are the things we need to educate our stakeholders on to say, yes, you'll give me this money today. You may not see that ROI for five years, but if we do this right mm. and we can eliminate workplace injuries, then you bring in other stakeholders, your comp people. They're going to be like, let's roll, let's go, <laughs> right? Let's figure this out. And it's like a, it's like a multi-phase project. It's like, you know, we're, we're not going to start by, you know, we're not going to get to phase five before we do the first four, you know, and that, and that is building up the data the right way. You got to, it, it is just like building, you know, a, 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 a structure. So you got to get that foundation. And even yeah. as you build it, you discover things, right? And you want to fix those things as you discover them before you just decide to, you know, to, to build a structure that you may not feel, you know, um, confident in, but it is, it's, a, it's your journey and it's not our journey, at our, our own, uh, because the people that are going to be helping us, you know, curate this data and make sure it's going in the right places, it's coming in at the right time, it's you know being deployed back to the workers in a in a proper frequency are going to be your um, data professionals, right? So they're going to be so key in in your success, but they're also going to be such good advocates and advisors in the journey you're going. Because again, I'll say that we're trained in health and safety. We're not trained in data architecture. We're not trained in you know you know DevOps or something like that. So, and, but that's what these things are. Right. So um, if we enlist those IT folks or mm -hmm. those project managers, say, how do you guys manage these projects? How are you guys managing this project for this other team to allow them to get to this point? And can I leverage those resources? And it's probably not something you want to pitch if the company's not doing very well and there's not a lot of money to go around. Like you probably want to, you know, you probably wouldn't go over too well if you're like kind of talking about this delayed uh, gratification down the road. Right. I think you got to see exactly. You got to decide what story you're trying to tell at what time. Yeah. yeah Maybe yeah. if you don't have a lot of money, you know, there's a lot of if if you if anybody's interested in Python or R, you know, that's open source programming. There are a lot of packages you can desktop. You could, in other words, you can experiment yourself without costing your company any money. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you want to learn a language or something like that, you could play around and see. Because the other part is, are you ready for that? Even if your company had money, you still may not be ready. So some of that bench top type you know playing around with your data can help inform are you even ready to start this journey just yet but yeah um if you look at your organization look at your risks right so maybe you don't have enough money but the risk is so high that if such a thing happened it'll put you guys out so maybe that investment it doesn't seem so big after all if it's going to be so consequential to your workplace
Introducing an EHS software platform tailored to the needs of your business. KPA provides environment, health, and safety software and award-winning online training to help organizations stay compliant with state and federal regulations and maintain a safe and productive workplace. The KPA EHS software platform is easy to use, highly configurable, and designed for a mobile workforce, which encourages broad adoption and an improved culture of safety across the organization. Manage equipment inspections and incidents, forms, safety data sheets, audits and inspections, training, resources, and gain actionable in analytics and insights with the all-in-one platform. Plus, with KPA's mobile app with online and offline capabilities, you can access it all whether you're at your desk or out in the field. To learn more about KPA's EHS software and award-winning training, visit them online at www.kpa.io. Um, so what's the right way to balance technology and human interaction? Uh, I see this as the balance like a seesaw, not necessarily like a level, like everything's balanced all the time. Mm -hmm. I think you're seesawing because a new tech comes out, you experiment with it, then you say, what does this mean as far as like you said, human interaction, the human condition, then you may look at how it's being applied and then say, truly, how is this making us better human beings or not? Right. I'm not trying to be like dystopian sci-fi movie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I believe, and especially my, my co-host on Probability Matters, Kyle would say like, you know, it's really, there's always this underlying human aspect in everything we do, tech or not. I don't care if we're making music or things like that. And so there's, there's got to be in all these projects an understanding on how is this helping us understand each other or bridging gaps that exist between us and not creating those gaps. So if our sensors, if the tech is showing us that, you know, people in certain areas, maybe disadvantaged areas or, you know, or certain types of workers are only the ones being exposed to, I don't know, heat stress because they're always outside, right? The technology should help us understand that and then maybe start saying how, oh, we didn't know, you know, we didn't understand that this segment of workers was this other segment of workers was was overexposed. So how can we bring them in and look at them holistically just like we do everybody else? So in the human interaction thing, I believe when used the right way, technology reveals the good and the bad and allows us to you know, address things that we didn't see that that the, the 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 computer can see or calculate really fast. But, but, the computers computers are not smart. I know we use the word intelligence. They're very fast. Mm -hmm. They can they see they they can you know connect patterns. But the computers will learn from the data you give them. Right. Okay. And so from the human interaction perspective, as we apply the technology, we have to be very careful about if we're trying to predict things in the future, but the information we're giving the computer is biased, right? In a certain way, bias can be anything, right? Mm -hmm. Bias in a certain way. If I'm using construction industry data to predict oil and gas workers, that's a bias, right? And so, but it may be all I have, but my point is that we human beings can also bias the technology in that way because we're the ones creating it, okay? And I know we can we can point the finger at the tech and say the tech is unethical, but it's us that's creating and applying the tech, so it's us to fix it. Yeah, and and I think you know part of the 
fear, I think, when you're introducing technology like this is you kind of have that probably uninformed fear that, you know, well, you're just going to replace us with, with this technology. So, you know, from a worker standpoint, there may be some fear that, you know, they're going to become obsolete. But I think it's it's sort of explaining exactly what you're using it for that that's important, right? I think there's some things that are inevitable that AI would take over, right? So uh, if, if, if anybody listening has not used ChatGBT, um, it's one of my favorite tools. Um, and the idea, it's, it, it's, think of it, I would say, like a very intelligent chat bot. You know, the one that pops at the bottom right sometimes when you go to websites. And um, ChatGPT is what's called generative AI. That is, you give it a question and it actually generates a response as opposed to necessarily like how Google will find you the website, but it's not creating a website for you. So ChatGPT will create, it'll search the net or it'll search data, but it'll create something digestible like a story you know yeah and so when i look at something like that and you again many of you have seen posts it is going to disrupt you know you think about journalism things like yeah, that it I'm, is I, i'm i'm the guy that you know gets a little <laughs> nervous about stuff like that right you know um <laughs> that's my it, job <laughs> it, that's your job so then it's like okay so now what coming back to your earlier question about human interaction so what can't this tech do right Okay, the, the tech can write a beautiful story, but what can't it do? Um, can that tech sell me a, a product? You know, mm -hmm. can that tech give me therapy when I need it? Right. Um, so where I'm at today, right now, is that the tech should it should do the things we don't want to do, Jay. So you, as a journalist, what are the things you hate doing? And as a journalist, you know maybe the research like for me like i hate sitting and clicking on excel all day right or if i have to do research so i want the tech to do the things that allow me to go do the things i want to do within my profession yeah and like for okay. me it's you know transcribing interviews so so say i do you know covering a speech or a presentation or something you know i'm, I'm furiously taking notes but if i know that uh you know i've got this uh you know ai doing a transcription for me, I still have to go through it and make sure that they actually, you know, transcribed it properly because it's, you know, depending on how the person who is presenting speaks, you know, words could be, you know, not what they're actually saying. So I've, I've definitely noticed that when I have gone through, um, you know, sort of AI transcription services and, yeah. you know, just, I'm like, wait, they definitely didn't say this, you know, and I'll go back and listen to them like, oh yeah, that's what they said instead. So, it, But then you're it, more it, present, right? Mm -hmm, In that yeah. room, you're more present. So yeah, you're not just right, taking not, notes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're not necessarily saying that AI is going to get it perfect, but at the same time, because you don't feel the burden so much of like typing or just transcribing yeah. everything, yeah. you're more present as that speaker speaking, right? So you can actually convey the room or your feeling or the atmosphere and that's what you're writing down maybe even more so than explicit words or something and, like and that right? yeah and focus on the things you really want to focus on focus on the things you want to really focus on and yeah. uh i don't know this just came up to me when you were talking about that a few years ago i was at an adele concert right mm -hmm. and I, I love music and things like that but i'm one of those people that doesn't record stuff on my phone because i want to be present yeah right but when we're at this concert, everybody had their phone out. And so I, I can't see you right now, Jay, but essentially they were looking at their phone, yeah. looking at Adele, right? Yeah. And I was like, Adele's right in front of you. Why are you looking at your phone, so right? <laughs> so for me, it was more about the presence. I get what they're trying to do. You know, you want to capture that moment right through your phone. But 
in order for you to capture the moment through your phone, you have to aim the phone, make sure the phone is aiming at the right thing. And so now you're actually missing seeing the real thing. Right. Because you're trying to capture the digital thing for you to look at later. So and those are the kinds of things crappy, I'm saying. You're taking a crappy yeah. video. And it's not going to come out good anyway. Yeah, yeah, when you could actually be watching and listening to this. And watching and absorbing it. Yeah. Exactly. Now so I, I go to all my concerts things. and see the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So those kinds of things, that's what I'm saying. And we could translate it to, to workplace items is that those are the kinds of things that can allow us from a human perspective to be present and then let the tech do its thing. You know, <laughs> let, let the tech do its thing. We can check on it and things like that. But this, what it can't do is replace that description of how the atmosphere was. I can tell you how that concert was, things like that. Um, so it's the same thing. There are many things that keep me in my desk, Jay, that don't allow me to go and interact with people in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially casually casually and positively. In other words, I want the tech to help me solve problems. So actually when I go to the workplace, it's more casual conversations, like how are things going well? Rather than, oh, they, we have this fire, let's go put out this fire and all people see me as a person who's coming to, um, whether they, they see me, that means there's a problem. And if they don't see me, right. it means there isn't a problem. I'd rather be more present. And I think there's a room uh, for that tech to do that. And I think you've seen this quote, uh, I'd love, you should have it as a topic sometime for a podcast. It says, AI, AI, AI will not replace you. Somebody using AI will replace you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you see coming down the pike uh, for, for the safety uh, world in terms of AI and other technology? What do you, where do you see it going in the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years? I think there's going to be a liberation of the knowledge around safety and health in two ways. First, let's say somebody like me who's an IH who, you know, is, is trained in exposure science and, you know, uh, may use certain types of technology that you may need extra training on or you get the data and then you have to use some statistical software. In that technical type of expertise, I see liberation of knowledge where we get better sensors uh, that don't need um, calibration or so much setup, right? That they're plug and play. So, and they're so plug and play that anybody can use them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I see, as you talk about, you know, my job thing, friend, I, that's what I see, you know, it, it, the things that I thought were technical are going to be simpler such that mm -hmm. anybody can use them. And so that means a person who may be safety trained, hardcore safety trained, may be able to do industrial hygiene. The second part of that is the public. Um, I think these tools can now start getting used by the public, such as such that a member of the public, when you're putting up your Christmas lights, Jay, you know, you, we, you know, your AI can, you can maybe just survey your house and he has like your ladder's not, you know, at the right angle, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or here's a tripping hazard or something like that. I think it it can liberate our knowledge to to the general public and globally, right? Because um, many uh, there. There are organizations across the globe that cannot afford to have an industrial hygienist or safety person. Right. And I think this tech can help uh, them get at least get started. And I think that's a really big deal to me. And it's amazing how quickly it's evolving, uh, you know, just from a couple of years ago, uh, you know, where we're at. So it'll be fun to see where things go. Most definitely. I, I didn't, this chat GPT thing, I think I thought it was 10 years ago. Not that I'm an expert. I thought it was 10 years out. Yeah. Here it is. You know, but so that's good. That's a good thing, right? That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. train arrived early, but we were at the station. So it's all good. 
definitely. Well, Mwangi, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you, Jay. All right. That wraps up episode 157 of EHS on Tap. Thanks again to KPA for sponsoring the episode. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Thank you.